made a mistake the other week. I asked Eliana a question. And, and I'm learning that never ask her a question that I'm not prepared to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth with her own little twist added to it. We were laying in bed uh, trying to get her to bed, which is always a wrestling match in our house. Uh, just prepare for that, Jen. It's free. Have fun. You know, and, and she uh, was uh, being nicer than usual to me. And, and I just, I said, hey, sis, you know, you're, you're nicer to me than you used to be. What do you think is the cause of that? And I was thinking because she was on some medicine that changed her personality just a tad bit. I mean, she wasn't never, she'd never really been a mean one, but as Barbara, I still remember your words, she is full of sugar and vinegar. And sometimes we get the vinegar. Now, and she looked at me, she just turned and she says, Dad, I love you now. And I go, well, well wait a minute, would you love me now? Well, yeah, I didn't love you earlier. <laughs> love is a tricky thing, is it not? And anybody that gets to understand that for great kids, you understand? Love is a tricky thing. Be careful what you ask, because you may get an answer. And you may hear, I love you now. Hey, what about the first five and a half years of your life, girl? You know, she's always loved mom. She's always loved Dobby. The rest of us, debatable with things. You know, love is a tricky thing. And so here on this fourth Sunday of Advent, it's the candle of love or the candle of the Magi. You know, as we learn and as we progress forward, as we're in the final moments of the Christmas journey. And what I want to do this morning is just to remind us of some foundational truth. Because we need reminders of that. Because it's so easy to forget in the craziness of this world. It's easy to forget. And the list of, especially you mothers have, of, okay, this needs to be wrapped, and i got to remember this, and didn't buy for everybody, or, or whatever the case may be, you can forget some foundational things. And in this week, in the final hustle and bustle, I need reminded of foundational things. As I uh, prepare us for Christmas Eve, and I hope you will join us, whether it's on Zoom at 4.30 or either in person or online. And those of you watching online, same address, you're on now at 7 for our candlelight community uh, service. Invite somebody to join you, whether virtually or in person. We need to be reminded of foundational truths. And, and so this is why this morning in this Advent, this week of love, I pick up the foundational truth found in John chapter 3. Where most of us uh, know this, and if you watch football today, you will see it somewhere on a placard in the end zone. I'm certain. For God so loved John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That anyone who would believe in him shall have life. His one and only son. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A foundational truth. You are 
Gospel of John and the writings of John. Love is a very important thing, and I encourage you to watch maybe some of Ron's teachings on 1 John and 2 John, and you'll learn much with that. But we need to be reminded of this foundational truth. But see, this, these words come in a very interesting context. Because if you look just in the verses prior, you, we are reminded of an interesting story where he, Jesus says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For some of us who don't understand the Old Testament, we will see this, we can gloss over it. But there's a lot of interesting things going on with where Jesus and then John gives us his love commentary. This whole idea of a snake on a pole. It happens, the story happens in the book of Exodus, where the nation of Israel, they're, they're wandering in the desert. And they've done some things that haven't been quite nice. And so venomous snakes invade camp. Now, I'm not a snake duck, okay? Uh, Josiah loves reptiles, bless him. You know, and when we go to the zoo, the one place he wants to go is the reptile house. He has told me that this next zoo we go to has to have a certain snake. It is the emerald tree bow. Because he did a project on emerald tree bows, and that's what he wants to see. It's a non-venomous, non-poisonous, you know, just a really green snake. I guess you would say more. But I'm not a snake guy. Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll never have a snake in my house. Whether I have or not. Okay? And, and so the venomous snakes come in and they start biting and person after person is dying. And God in his love and his graciousness provides the antidote, which is a snake on a pole in the center of camp. So Eric, if you got, you just, you, you're surprised I don't remember your name, huh? If you got bit by a snake, the only hope for you is to try to find the snake on a pole. So you had to look at the thing that caused you death. Pretty interesting, right? But it works. And if Jordan, if you got bit, you know, you better find the snake quick before you bite the dust with it. And great, and it, it was a wonderful thing. And after the plague of the snakes, what they did as a foundational truth to remind themselves that God loves them enough to save them from their own selves, they took the snake and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Alongside Aaron's staff. They brought them out of Egypt. Uh, alongside the Ten Commandments, the law, that was to remind them of who they were and who God was. Right alongside the manna that never would go bad as they were reminded that God loved them enough to provide every single day. What an interesting concept. Foundational truth that God would provide. But as we go along, we see something interesting happen. And that is within 700 years, even a good thing of this snake on a pole became an idol to the nation of Israel. Foundational truth. Even a good thing for you this morning can become an idol. 
Hezekiah comes up and he finds out that the nation of Israel weren't just seeing this snake as something that God sent to provide in a loving way, but they were starting to worship the snake and burning incense to the snake. And he says, no way. He destroys it. Because it became an idol. And they say, well, what does, well, when do I know something is going to become an idol? It's when the object replaces the one who gave the object. When whatever you are given becomes more important than the person who gave it to you. And that's part of what John is starting to highlight here in this conversation with Nicodemus, with all those in the gospel beyond. That if you're not careful, something good replaces the person who gave it. As we come into Christmas, I think this is a good reminder that we do not let the gifts of Christmas get in the way of the person giving the gift of Christmas. Back to Eliana. Another story from just this week. She went to the Santa shop at her school, which if you've never participated in that, these are gifts that aren't of, uh, let's say, high quality, but they're gifts, nonetheless. And she loved it, and she immediately got us all something, and we had to open it that night. I mean, there's no waiting for Christmas, Okay. And so we all get it, and she proceeds as we open up our gift to tell us exactly why she gave us what she gave us. So she gave me a new watermelon, because she just thought I really probably needed a new one because I wear out the other ones. She gave Alicia a koozie because if you're holding a water bottle and you have no padding, your hands may hurt. Think of the logic here. I mean, that, that, that's pretty brilliant to take after their mother. Okay? But here it is. And, and, and as much as I'm going to love the gift, if that water bottle that she gave me replaces the fact that she gave it to me, I've missed the point. And we see this throughout all of Scripture. From the object of the snake, which is directly tied, to another object where, where I think there's a connection. Because John here says in John 3, 16, his one and only son. For a good Jew, they remember the words one and only son, and they go back to the days they were analyzed. His one and only, his unique son. Not like him. What I think the part of the story found in Genesis is Abraham has to answer the question, is the object, is the gift more important than the giver of the gift? And here we find what John is trying to say, what Abraham answers. There has to be something greater behind it. What is your good object? Maybe it's going to be something you get this week. Will you remember the gift or will you remember the giver of the gift? Is a tricky thing. See, because with Abraham and Isaac and us, we love what we get. But sometimes love can lead us straight because love is power. 
love is powerful. I believe actually our world has made love an idol. And not the biblical love as we will find out. Love that means I can do whatever I want. A good thing, and we highlighted as the most important thing. Love is powerful. In fact, um, we see here in John 3.16, we see in the surrounding verses that, that love is the light that exposes the darkness. Which reminds me, these and others, of the words of John 1, where we read in verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Love is that power. Where are the darkness in our world? And I will say, let's spread some love to it. Daniel, Josiah, and I, on Friday night, watched the next portion of the Harry Potter. I believe it was number four, Goblet uh, of Fire. And, and one of the reasons I like the series is there is a line in that movie that uh, the uh, Lord Voldemort, who's the evil guy, says the only reason Harry Potter lives is because his mother loved him enough. And love was powerful enough to save. And love was older than any of the magic arts that he had known. And I go, there it is. Love is powerful. This is why John would later say in his letter to the church, God is love. Not that love is God, but God is love. And Jesus is stating this truth. The power of a loving God can have something supernatural happen called rebirth or new birth. But see, love is tricky. See, because it's not just powerful, but it, it's a tricky thing. If we give it too much, we may forget. If we highlight it too much or we, we focus too much on love and not the giver of love, we may miss out. But also this, love may cause us pain. For God's so love, he gave. Have we ever thought that sometimes we see these verses and rightly so about how God so loved us that he gave, but have we thought that the giving on his part wasn't just an easy thing? He gave. Philippians 2 highlights the fact that when he gave, that Christ had become less than what he normally was. He emptied of himself all of divinity, all of the God, and took on flesh. He became God and man. And because of that love, he had to suffer. His love was so great. It cost. It hurts. No wonder he would say, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And his body See, and sometimes when we have darkness come in, when we hurt, we forget that the measure of our hurt sometimes is because of the measure of our love. When relationships are strained, it's partially because love is there. When you, when you mourn the loss of a loved one, it is because love has been there. Without love, there is no pain. 
The only way to escape pain truly is either never to live or never to love. And my friends, that will lead to a darkness that you won't be able to penetrate. But love is. The heart of God is God is. Why was there even a snake on a pole? Because God gave salvation to them. Why did, why did Jesus have to come in a manger? Why did he have Advent to remind ourselves that God gives? And he doesn't just give in the past, but these are reminders of God giving in the present and giving in the future. God will give. Because love saves. God's in love the work he did. His one and only Son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. <coughs> love saves. And this is where I maybe want to challenge us a little bit with these two things. Notice that that time and time again it talks about what love does and, and, and standing for love. But have we realized how much that love saves, not just in a spiritual sense, but are we willing to wrap our arms around people to save them in other senses as well? Or will we condemn them? Love saves. heart of God is filled with love. For some of you who have been with us for five and a half, six years, you know I asked the question early on in my time of being adopted into your family. We really love who all has been. I hope you know that, you know. Uh, and, and we don't plan on having going anywhere else. We really love here. Um, and I don't say that by the way. Uh, I know some of you get a little anxious at times, you know, about whether or not we're going anywhere. You know, I'm moving hard work. You know, we love you all too much to pack boxes. Even you, Colby. That was just a week that day. All right? Right, Jordan? You know what I said? I didn't think so. The heart of God is filled with love. And I asked in that time, if, if we as a church cease to exist, would our community ever notice? And there was debate within the halls of this church whether our community would notice the First Baptist Church didn't exist. I mean, that's Joyce Bowling, who's in Vegas right now, you know, uh, she would still do the things Joyce Bowling does. But, but would the church realize that we as a church, or would the community realize that we as a church did not exist? And there was a debate whether they would even notice. Can I tell you, I think we've changed that. I think the church would not, or the community would notice. Now the other thing that I consistently preach is, will the community know what we are for or just what we are against? 
Because there are many churches I know, I don't know what they're for, but I can tell you with a laundry list of things of what they are against. And I think maybe for some in those early days, they, and, they, and they're still quite not sure what to think of people like me. Because you all aren't quite sure what to think of people like me. Right, Maya? Uh-huh. Just wait until JJ or Al Rose to tell them, you know. You know? You don't, because can't it, it almost seems too true. A, a group of people will truly love with no strings attached. And I think our community is starting to realize, hey, we're not just around, but we're for our community. We're for helping people, surrounding people. And some may ask, well, uh, especially with our Wednesday night, well, what would happen if somebody would take advantage of it? I anticipate people take advantage of us every week. But see, Jesus didn't say, well, I only came for God so loved only those who would come to know me. He said, I came to love them all. Which meant there would be some who would try to take advantage. But it was worth it. It was worth it to see. Love will leave a choice. I can love you, but you can decide whether you love that. And that's the hardest, the trickiest thing of love. I can love my kids, but maybe my kids, like Eliana reminded me, doesn't love me right now. That's a choice. I can't force that. But to all who receive the love, there is life. To all who has this light in us, we are called to go into the darkness with a bright beacon of love. Not because everybody will see it. But because the heart of God says, for God so loved. First, Second Peter says this, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. I love that verse and I don't like that verse. We're in the last days. I just don't know with God if it's a thousand more years or not. It could be today. Praise Jesus if that's the case. But it could be another thousand years and we're still in the last days. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. His promise of love that says because of the first advent, there's a second advent coming. He is some understands love. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish but everyone to come to repentance. His love is patience so much that he will endure the pain, the evil of our world, the darkness of our world. But the promise is first John, is John 1. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, cannot, will not ever overcome. Because the heart of God is love. Does he take, he's asked this question in Ezekiel. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Love. If we see this as the heart of God, we see the heart filled with love, we don't take pleasure in anybody perishing. We don't take pleasure in any funeral. Even 
if we disagree with you. Especially when we disagree with you. There was a funeral this week where the uh, police officer in Texas, Dallas, Texas, I believe, shot, killed, you may have seen some of the video, where the officer's child, daughter, can't be but maybe Ashland days for more than Jordan's, where she proclaims in her eulogy, I'd like to sit down with the person who shot my father. There's the boldness. She says, but not to hate and condemn and tell him how awful he is, but instead to sit down with him so that he may hear the love of God for him. We adults, would we do that? We adults, would we have that sense of love? Probably not. Don't forget the one behind it. 
easily substitute for two. Now, this may be easier for two. But my next question is, will you accept the gift of God this Christmas? There's nothing more humbling as a parent to get a gift from your kids. One, because you know you paid for it. Two, because, you know, Jeff, as you said, you really don't want anything. You don't necessarily need anything. But, you know, that becomes the issue there, too. For if I cannot receive, I cannot give. And so, yes, when Eliana gave me that water bottle, I'm loving every minute of it. I will. But I had to humble myself to accept. For some of us, we're in the darkness of self-condemnation. We're in the darkness of, of self-criticism. You need to receive the gift of love this Christmas. You are loved. And there's nothing you can do about it. Whether you accept Christ or not, you are loved. Whether you act like Christ or not, you are loved. But when you accept the love of Christ, things start to change. Not because life becomes okay. Not because the darkness does not come. But because the love of God, the love of Christ, overcomes darkness. When you accept the gift of love, this Christmas. For some of you, giving is much easier. You really like to give. You really don't want someone to give back. And in so doing, you miss Christmas and the love of Jesus that is there for you. We've heard the God of everything before this time. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to accept of your love this morning wherever we are. Jesus says, for you so loved the whole world. You didn't wait on us. Elsewhere in your word, you said at just the right time, you died for us. When we were still far off, you died for us. You came for us. And so, Lord, may we, this Christmas week, be sowers of love throughout our community. Never knowing exactly what will grow and what will not, but always entrusting that when we share your heart and show your heart and faithfulness to you, you do the work. And so, Lord, may we receive your love again and again this day. And may we give it out again and again this day. So that the whole world may come to know, not just that they are loved, but the love that is found in Christ and Christ alone, true love. A love that saves. A love that sustains. A love that provides hope, joy, 